Ahoy! It's your boy. Today is August 20th, and for some reason I can hear myself in my headphones, which is forcing me to speak very slowly. Unfortunately, this new thing is happening with my recording software where, for some reason, when I fire it up, it just sucks up a lot of computer power, so I get that spinning wheel of death. And so I can't use my mouse. Okay, I think it's over. Let me see if I can turn this off. Check, check. Okay. Um, yeah, ahoy. Welcome. Um, this is, uh, I guess, my second installment since uh, we connected last time. Um, I have to be honest, I feel a little ambivalent about uh, making these recordings again because at the end of the day, although I'm, you know, I'm kind of in a transitional period, I, I don't really know that I have a lot to talk about. I mean, for example... I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, oh, it's time to, um, you know, make this audio record or whatever. And I don't really know what to talk about. Um, I got back from Taiwan like just over a week ago. And although I'm back to work, which actually is its own thing, which I wish I could talk about, but I actually feel it's probably not appropriate to talk about. Um, um, you know, other than that, I'm just not doing a lot. I mean, it's the weekend. I just had a 30-minute, like, boredom nap. I don't know if you ever do that, but there's, like, nothing to do. And uh, I was just online, like, kind of looking at the same shit I've been looking at forever, which is basically, um, you know, I'm trying to get back to Taiwan, so I'm, like, looking at language school applications, which, you know, I've already completed a couple of those. I'm also starting to think about um, grad school and looking at different application deadlines. So I guess the one productive thing I did is I did make a master list of places I want to apply to, what is the application window or deadline, and then looking at a couple of scholarships as well. So I guess that's that's semi-productive. But at the end of the day, it's all kind of things I've kind of looked at in the past. And uh, I was just kind of sitting there and I was like, well, it's uh, the afternoon and um, I don't really, you know, there's nothing productive I want to do. There's nothing fun I want to do. So I just like took a 30 minute nap. And uh, so now I'm doing this. Um I was sort of saying, you know, there was something about my time in Taiwan where it wasn't that I was a different person, or it's not like Taiwan brought things out in me that I don't possess. But it does bring out, it, it did bring out things in me that I like about myself that, you know, I know I possess, but for some reason feel really hard to access when I'm here. And um, I guess actually the, the, the sort of cliffhanger I, I probably left you on last weekend was, <laughs> by the way, it's weird to talk about that as if that's like actual drama for people who listen to this. I mean, at the end of the day, I don't know why people listen to this, um, but uh, uh, some people do. And so um, I, I'll let them decide for themselves what they get out of it. But the point is, is that one of the last things I talked about was whether or not I was going to go to this music festival. And um, um, uh, although I went to the BART, station to head to the music festival when I arrived there was some kind of kerfuffle or hold up on the track so I had to wait like 30 minutes and unfortunately that was just enough time for me to talk myself out of going I was just kind of waiting there standing on the platform and I was just thinking about the long drawn out process of uh of going to the festival and uh, it was just enough time for me to decide as I yawn at you um it's just enough time for me to decide I'm just gonna go home and that's exactly what I did and, you know, it was one of those things that, I don't know, I've, 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 the other things in my life have happened where I have felt this way, but it's like, 
on the one hand, I leave the house knowing eh, you're not going to feel great about this process. But once you get there and once you um, you know, once you're there, you're just going to be so happy that you didn't stay home. Um, it's kind of, I talk about it like going to the gym. Like the hardest part about going to the gym is just getting on the treadmill. Like you know whether it's your gym bag or putting the shoes on or like going for a run. It's just getting out the door. But once you do it, it's never as bad as you think it's going to be. Um, and yeah, whatever. That hiccup at the train station was just enough. And as I'm like walking home, I'm thinking, you know, you're probably not going to feel great about this in 15 minutes. You know, because there's kind of a window of opportunity for leaving, which is it's going to take you X amount of time to get out the door. It's going to take you X amount of time to ride the train into the city. And then there's the bus you got to catch across town to get to the park and get to will call and get your ticket and then sort of make your way to the, you know, I was only there for one band and, um, you know, uh, there's, you know, you just got to make it, make, make your way to the stage or whatever the hell it is. And, um, you know, but there's kind of a window of opportunity. Cause it's like, if you leave after a certain point, you're definitely not going to make it in time. So I don't know if that window was an hour or whatever, but I was like, you know, once that window, once this window of opportunity closes, you're probably not going to feel great about not going. And so, you know, at the end of the day, that's, that's probably exactly what happened. And I know that the next day, this is, for, I mean, first of all, this is a band that I've seen a couple times, and I don't know why I'm hesitating from telling you who they are, but for some reason, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just feeling more ambivalent about saying certain things that kind of tie this record to a certain time and place, and uh, and I, I don't know why that is, that's just where I'm at right now, but um, they ended up uh, recording some of the sets and putting them online, so I've seen this band a couple times, the last time I saw them, it was not great, um, the lead, although this is like one of my favorite bands of all time, and for I don't want to say for some reason, but the lead singer has a kind of checkered history, um, you know, they're just kind of very arrogant or whatever, and so often when I see them, although the first couple times I saw them it was good, the last time I saw them, the lead singer was just clearly intoxicated, very self-absorbed, and almost like was performing with this, they were just kind of oozing contempt for the audience and almost it almost felt like for even having to be there and not only was it like off like um did it put me out there were like people around me who were like wow i wish this person was like kind of get it would kind of get it together and like just do the show so i have to admit that was kind of contributing to like do i really want to make this trek into the city to see this band like what if it sucks because i also have this thing too where you know whether it's um for some reason i, I was stopping myself from saying dating but there's a lot of things that I want to want to like. And despite the fact that they don't make me happy or they don't. Oh, man, I'm sorry. I forgot about my tendency to yawn on this thing. But, you know, despite my, um, um, you know, my continued disappointment, I, it's like I'm committed to wanting to want to like something. And so sometimes when I'm in that place where I'm like, do I go? Do I not go? You know, part of me not going is I think, well, maybe that's me just kind of finally advocating for myself or finally um, admitting what I like and what I don't like. And so there's a type of, uh, you know, maybe like me not going is kind of me being in my power or kind of like uh, reclaiming my time for the things that I actually want to do. And, you know, maybe there's something to that. But, you know, again, I wasn't quite sure, you know, how this band was going to show up. So I... I know that they were going to record the set, so the next day I looked online and I was sort of watching it. And you know what? It was pretty fucking good. And I was like, you know what? You probably would have liked it. 
um, you know, not perfect. I admit the lead singer was kind of doing their thing a little bit, but at the end of the day, it was clear that they played very well and the audience loved it. And at the end, I, I would have liked it as well. You know, especially if I had gotten there early, I could have gotten a good spot. Although I've seen them a few times, I've always been kind of far away from the stage. So there was, I even told myself, like, if you go, make sure you go early, you know, just sit through the band who's on the stage before them so that you can be up front when they, when they finally hit the stage. But, ah, well. You know, the crazy thing is, is they're actually playing again locally you know, before, like in a couple months, which is just insane to me. This band like never stops touring. I saw them in like October in San Francisco. And here we are less than a year away. They're playing again and they're going to be back, you know, not in the exact same city, but in the same area, like within a couple months. No wonder this guy has contempt. He just can't go home. I'd probably feel the same way. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I think I was just saying, yeah, there's something about me not going which is kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know when i'm here it's just so easy for me to stay home and like not go out and do things and uh, when i was in taiwan it just wasn't that way like i was every every it was, it was you know for me it was like imperative that every moment i had i was like doing stuff and um yeah i mean that makes sense right you're traveling time is very literally precious and so you want to make the most of it um, but at the end of the day, it's like I start school on Wednesday, you know, the time that I have outside of the rigmarole or, um, you know, the, you know, the crazy schedule that's kind of coming up is also limited. And yet for some reason, I'm just kind of content to, you know, just kind of stay at home, piddle around, watch movies, you know, fuck around on the internet. And, um, yeah, I have to admit, it's especially today, I don't know that it really hit me, but today was kind of the first day where I really felt like, you know, just kind of bummed out. And um, yeah, I think that's why I took that nap. It was kind of a boring nap, but I guess in some ways it was kind of a sad nap too. So, yeah. Yeah, in some ways I've actually been kind of living with my head, kind of, you know, it's like I have one half of my brain in Taiwan, I have another half of my brain here in the States because I've actually stayed in touch with a couple people that I met while I was there. And, um, you know, we sort of message, but it's like, I'm constantly like, uh, looking into my phone and, uh, I, I do it through the weather app, which is, I guess sounds kind of strange, but really I'm just kind of checking the time, uh, in those, uh, in the, in that part of the world. So like when I message someone or a couple of times I video chatted with, with some of my friends there, um, yeah, I just have to kind of check in and see what, what time it is there. So I'm constantly kind of thinking about that. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's weird, though. I, like, even as I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, well, when I was there, I was doing X, Y, and Z. I think, you know, the thing I, I sort of, is probably logical to think about. Well, one is I need to think deeply, or at least I need to think more seriously about what is it about being here that makes you know, those, whatever those things about myself that I like that seem to be easily accessible in Taiwan, why are those so hard to access here? And, you know, I don't know why that is because visiting Taiwan and who I am while I'm visiting Taiwan is one thing, but, um, you know, if I were to spend any, like a significant amount of time there, you know, my next trip will probably be th for three months and that's not an eternity. But at the same time, I'm looking at graduate schools, right? And although I'm looking at graduate school here in the States, you know, if I end up going to grad school in Taiwan, I'm sure that would be a very different experience um, than if I was just visiting. You know, because there's a way in which, like, like, I remember when I was, 
how old was I when I moved to California? I think I was like 22 or, or something like that. But I was like not in a great place mentally, psychologically, psycho-spiritually when I was living in Arizona and when I moved to California. And I think I did, or I, ha- you know, I, I did think that if I moved to California, you know, that it was going to be this cure-all. You know, I, I had like visited the area, I was playing music, I played a show, and then I was like, I had this long drive back to Arizona. It's like 16 hours or something like that. And I remember on the drive back, I had decided that I was just going to pack my things and move to California. And within, a, like I think like three weeks, I did just that. But within six months of moving to California, I completely bottomed out psychologically. And, um, you know, before I moved, I was dealing with a lot of anxiety. It was hard for me to go out. You know, that anxiety was manifesting in all sorts of like kind of embarrassing ways. I was having a lot of gastrointestinal trouble. And I think I just decided if I, if I moved to a different place, that my life would just change drastically. And lo and behold, the first thing I packed when I left, that's a poetic way to put it, the first thing I packed was my problems. And within six months, I was actually much worse than I was in the beginning. You know, so, and then, I mean, that began a whole other chapter of like trying, trying to... um trying to recover or rebuild my life into some kind of normalcy again. But as I'm sort of sitting here and I'm thinking, oh, well, I just want to get back to Taiwan. It's like, well, here you are sitting at home, you know, feeling frustrated and um, kind of bored. And you're finding it hard to kind of, I don't know, be content, like just with your circumstances. Who's to say that when you move to Taiwan and once you settle into the routine of going to school, and although I don't think I can legally work while I'm there, you know, whatever whatever your life looks like there, once you settle into that routine, what's going to keep it from being the same thing? Once the novelty of the experience wears off, once you've been to all the temples or night markets or whatever the case may be, you know, what's going to, you know, who's to say that you're not just going to fall into the same routine? Oh, yeah. You know, it's funny. It's just so weird to be 38 and just, uh, which by the way, if you're just tuning in and you're hearing me talk about going to grad school and stuff, that number might have surprised you. But yes, I'm 38 years old and it's just so weird to be this age. And I think when you're younger, you think, oh, I'm just going to have everything figured out. You know, at some point, I'm just going to kind of hit this patch. Because we look at older people and we just, we, we think that they just have this kind of stasis that they've, you know, maybe after 30 or something, you calcify into the adult that you will be until the rest of, uh, for the rest of your life. And you just kind of ride that wave until your eventual demise. But, gosh, I mean, if you had told me at, uh, I don't know, uh, 10, that at 38, there would be so many major life questions left unanswered and would still have this huge question mark looming over them, I think it would have been fucking terrifying. And lo and behold, here I am, and that's exactly how I feel. I mean, even as I think about grad school, it's like, I don't even know what I want to do, if I'm being honest with you. I mean, one thing I've sort of... uh, um, insinuated and you know really the only thing I want to do is I have this kind of a looming creative project kind of hanging over my head that I've been thinking about for like 10 years which I can't bring myself to do which by the way it would have been awesome actually you know the last time we heard from each other I'm almost certain even though I haven't listened back to it I'm almost certain that one of the things I talked about was you know I have this creative project that I've been thinking about for a long time and I want to do it and I just hope maybe by the next time you hear from me that I'll have you know either started it or put some work into it and I haven't so you know, that's still sort of hanging over me like the sword of Damocles. But 
you know, like just needing to be a part of the world. I mean, my biggest frustration right now, and I won't go into details or we'll see, <laughs> you know, my, my work is probably the biggest frustration in my life right now. And although the work that I do is very meaningful, um, you know, the ecosystem that it happens in is very frustrated. It's in the nonprofit space. And I don't know if it's, you know, people in that line of work, you know, it's very easy for them to focus on the, the sort of macro or the cause that they're involved in. And yet there's something about the operations or the systems levels, the systems level thinking or the operational stuff that's one, it's less attractive, it's less sexy, but it's just harder you know, if you're if you if your drive is sort of feelings and human connection and the emotional component of life, you know, thinking about how to just kind of run things from an operational standpoint uh, might be less appealing, or maybe it's just not a talent for people. But not having that, not having that taken care of by leadership, has just made my life very stressful, and. You know, so as I'm sort of sitting here and thinking, well, you know, to go to grad school for, I mean, you could go to grad school for any number of things that would be interesting, like literature or language study or something like that. But if you really think about the time and the financial investment that graduate school is, there's a lot of pressure to locate something that's going to be very, that you could very practically yield for a profession afterwards. And Frankly, I'm like very embarrassed that, you know, if you ask me, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I'm 38 years old, by the way, when you're asking me this question. And I said, I still don't know. You know, that's that's an embarrassing place to be. And, you know, if I told you what I really want to do, which is like I want to, well, and by the way, what I say I really want to do, because if I really wanted to do it, wouldn't I be doing it? But if you ask me and I told you what I, my heart and my soul is telling me that I want to do or that I should be doing is this creative project, uh, you know, that is also embarrassing. So that's kind of it, huh? I'm in this like in between where I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't know what I want to do in a kind of in a worldly sense, in a kind of uh, grown up kind of way of like, what job do I want to do? What I want to do to make money? And on the one hand, I feel like I want to do this thing, this sort of creative project. And yet I've been sitting on it for almost 10 years now and haven't done anything besides think about it for that long. So where am I? Gosh, I just feel like I'm in this. I mean, on the one hand, I feel like I'm in this like perpetual adolescence, right? Like there's this myth of adulthood, uh, you know, this, this, um, fantasy of becoming this, this, uh, place of arrival that we're all kind of blooming into, or when we're children, you know, that adulthood is this place that you sort of arrive at and then you just kind of exist in, you know, for the, I don't know, the second half of your life or even the majority of your life in some cases. But, you know, this is not an original idea, but when you look around, you just realize like most people have no idea what the fuck is going on. Or, you know, it's not that people don't get by in the world in a very practical and pragmatic way. Like they are gainfully employed. They make enough money to pay their bills. They get married. They have children and those children don't die. <laughs> you know, they're able to provide for their families. Um, but I think there's a kind of mm, emotional maturity isn't the right word, but there's, or, or a maturation maybe is a word, but there's a type of a place of wisdom or knowing or contentment that I think we're all trying, trying to arrive at that feels still very much, that still, that still feels very elusive and, uh, 
And although I will say, I mean, I think when, when at least most people I've talked to, and it was true of me, you know, when I turned 30, there was a palpable shift in my headspace where I felt like, um, you know, there's a certain type of manic insecurity and kind of fear that at least uh, animated my 20s and actually late teens that I think a lot of people live with and can relate to that kind of dissipates. So there is a, there is a certain type of calming that happens, I think, around 30 years old. But it's like anything in life, which is, you know, uh, you know, every, <laughs> you know, everything has its own set of problems, right? Like being unemployed is an ecosystem of problems, but having a job is also its own set of problems. Being single has its problems, but also being in a relationship is its own ecosystem of problems as well. And so even though, you know, there's maybe one one area of my life that has sort of dissipated and calmed down, you know, and actually when I think about it, I mean, there's so many issues that I resolved, that I resolved in myself and in my life that I thought were going to be curatives for this kind of unhappiness that I have always lived with. I mean, I have said this before, I probably said it here on this record, and um, it sounds like a horrible thing to say, but it's just it just feels true to me, which is, when I look back on my life, I don't feel like I've ever been happy. You know, and it doesn't mean that I haven't had happy moments, like I loved my time in Taiwan, but even that was peppered with a kind of, you know, just a kind of um, sadness, you know? And it's not depression. I mean, I've had chapters of my life where I'm legitimately depressed, where it's legitimately hard to function. You know, I think about the moment right before I went to therapy, you know, and it's like my, my, my thoughts and my feelings were spooky, you know? Like I was just sad all the time. And every day I woke up, it was like before my eyes even opened, when my brain just kind of clicked on out of that dream state, my first thought, even before I opened my eyes, was like, Oh God, like not another one of these days. Like, how am I going to get through oh, just like the whatever, you know? So there's just this kind of like defeated, even before you, before you start kind of feeling that sort of attends every day that you're alive. Um, you know, I've never had thoughts of suicide. I'm not going to say thankfully because, you know, that's kind of stigmatizing, I guess, but it's true. I've just, I've never had thoughts of suicide, not seriously, but you know, I've been legitimately, legitimately depressed. And although I don't have that, I still have this feeling like emotionally, even when things are good, objectively good, I'm employed, my grades are great, I go to a great school, you know, uh, I'm single, but you know, uh, clearly, you know, I mentioned in Taiwan, I went on like nine dates with seven different women, even I went on a date last weekend, you know, I still connect with people, you know, I have, you know, I don't know, I, maybe I don't want to go into specifics, but I have other people in my life who I'm kind of, you know, connected with in a kind of romantic sense, so the point is, is like I'm not Quasimodo. I'm not locked in a bell tower somewhere, not able to connect with the world. But there, it's just like I'm. I'm. I still feel like I'm like living life with the e-brake on. You know, I'm driving through life and the e-brake's on, and I don't even know it. You know, and it's like there's just there's. Or I was actually I was describing <laughs> I was describing it to a friend as biking in the wind. Like for me, I bike to school. I I have a truck which I've had forever. By the way, I've had my truck for like twenty three years or something like that when I connect with old friends and they ask me hey you still have the truck and I say yes they lose their fucking minds um 
But despite that, I, it basically just sits. I have to move it every 72 hours, but I, I never drive it. I maybe I drive it like once every two weeks to get groceries or sometimes to drop the laundry off at the laundromat, and that is it. But uh, So I bike everywhere. But the worst part of my day or the worst part about biking, even though there's this last stretch up to the campus that's uphill, that sucks every day, the worst part of biking is if it's windy and you're on flat ground and the wind's blowing at you, and you know in your heart of hearts, you're like, this should be easy. I should be able to just bike and not have this resistance, but there's this perpetual force pushing against you that's just making this mundane thing like biking on flat ground exponentially more difficult than it has to be. Now, I'm not saying that's my living experience all the time, but I'm saying it's something like that. There is this thing that is keeping me from being content all the time you know and maybe I, i'm maybe well maybe i'm trying to force a connection here but the point is is i think this is what's undergirding if that's a word this there's this thing that's scaffolding this fear that i have of here i am back in my routine and for some reason i'm just kind of back to this place where you know these things i like about myself are hard to access the kind of go get it or i can't quite think of the word but like you know wanting to get after it. This, the, Yeah, this kind of get up, get after it, make hay while the sun shines. Is that, is that the phrase? <laughs> and, uh, and do things. Time is precious. Get out and do stuff. Not just kind of marinate, you know, in my apartment, just kind of doing the same old, same old. I, I, and, and essentially, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, it's like I'm kind of waiting for something to happen. You know, I'm kind of waiting for school to start. Uh, school to start. I'm waiting you know, I'm on these dating apps. It's like I'm waiting for the next person to connect with me. I'm waiting for the next thing rather than just kind of creating opportunities myself. You know, when I was in Taiwan, I had a lot of classmates who were very nice and I liked a lot of them, but they were pretty content to kind of chill. And so for me, it was like if I looked around and nobody was doing anything, I just sort of set off. You know, I would just, I had a, a map, you know, um, a Google map where I just had all these locations saved that I wanted to go to. And I just picked a place and I just went, you know, and it was always, fine. But, you know, that was kind of the mentality I had. And yet here I am just kind of like waiting for things to happen. And, and so yeah, there's this place I'm kind of returning to emotionally. I'm kind of like living my life with the e-brake on. And it's like, um, I, actually, I think the other thing I was thinking about is even when my life is objectively good, right? Even when my life is objectively good, I'm going to a good school, grades are good, all that sort of stuff. It's like there's every chapter of my life, there's something that I think if I solve this aspect, then my life then the, uh, the uh, all right, here's what it is. Every chapter of my life, I think that there's like one thing kind of standing in my way. And as soon as I saw that, that's like the e-brake lever. Like once I, because when you're driving in your car and you realize the e-brake's on and you click it, you feel it, right? You just go, oh shit, that's what's been holding me back. And you click it off and now you're kind of, you know, things just sort of click into place. Every chapter of my life, I feel like when I solve for X or when I solve this, then my life's going to be good. Um, you know, for the most ready example was like when I moved to California. I was like, oh, when I moved to California, then I'm going to be off and running. Well, that didn't happen. In fact, when I moved to California, things got a lot worse. But the thing that was like torturing me during that uh, chapter of my life was also like I was not playing music. You know, I was saying, oh, you want to be a musician, but you know, you, you just, you're not even playing shows. I thought when I moved to California, I was going to be writing songs and performing shows and that wasn't happening. And so as soon as I started doing that, I thought, okay, well, here we are. We're off and running. And who knows? I'm sure during that whole chapter, it was like, well, once I get X number of streams, or once I play that theater, or once I have that kind of creative accomplishment, that's going to make me happy. And of course, that didn't happen. 
And then I'm sort of conflating a couple different chapters in my life, but like romantically, you think once I get the girlfriend or once I'm in this type of relationship, that's going to make me happy. And I've had it all. I've had like the really attractive girlfriend where things are sort of hot and heavy. That's not going to make you happy. I've had the girlfriend who, even though things are great and the, you know, but I'm saying it's a different type of relationship. You know, it's like the, the person that you could marry. I've had that relationship as well. That didn't make me happy. And so here I am kind of in this transitional phase or even very acutely today I'm sitting here and there's a way in which I'm kind of framing this whole thing is as like, well, I'm in the States and I'm unhappy, but if I were in Taiwan, life would be a lot better. But it's like, hold on. In every chapter of your life, there's this thing that you think, oh, if X happens, that's going to be the cure-all. That's going to solve everything. But if I'm being honest, you know, my experience to date has been all of those things are not going to make you happy. I was talking with my friend uh, today. He's my best friend. He's a creative uh, compatriot and friend of mine. And uh, we were talking about this in terms of creative stuff, which is like if you find my music on certain streaming platforms, the numbers are very impressive. You know, I'm in this chapter of my life where music feels very far away. And so like I meet people in school or at work or certain things. And I usually don't tell people that I used to be a musician. But when I was in school recently, I, I had a, a roommate. Uh, who was a who is a musician and so I felt comfortable saying oh I used to do music and they say oh is your music online and I show them and they're very impressed and so they start telling other people um, in the uh, in the school about it so I have people kind of coming up to me being like oh man I found your music like it's really good and that's great to hear but where am I going with this oh you know that feeling good or other uh, yeah maybe this is a better way to say it the other people feeling happy or impressed by my accomplishment is great. And, and so there's that, but it, it doesn't bring me the type of satisfaction that I thought it was going to bring me, right? Like a very extreme example is there are people in this world who it seems, I don't have access to their internal world, but they seem very invested in how other people think about them. And it seems as if they can convince other people of this reality or this image, this sort of lie about who they are, that's actually sufficient for them, that they actually live through the way that people perceive them. Like, for example, it seems to be enough for Trump that other people believe he's a successful businessman. It actually doesn't matter to Trump. In fact, he'll proactively circumvent actually being a successful businessman if it means convincing other people that he is that, despite the reality of his situation. And for most of us, you know, we want to legitimately be the thing that people think we are, whether it's talented or smart or successful in our business. And we would kind of live in perpetual fear of anyone finding out who we really were. Or, you know, even if we did live in a world where people thought we were successful creatively or whatever, if we personally felt, you know, hadn't achieved the type of success that we wanted, then we just would never be happy, right? Now, that's a heavy-handed way of putting it, but there's a that's a little bit of what I'm talking about. And maybe you know this in your own life. I mean, for me, it was like, although I had very impressive numbers on streaming platforms, it was hard for me to feel great about that because most of those numbers came from my versions of other people's songs, which is, you know, it's not that it's not my work, right? It's my version of it. Ostensibly, people are listening to, they could listen to the original, but for some reason, they're streaming mine as well, at least. And so that, that's, that's good. You know, but I guess, you know, yeah, it didn't, 
you know, that type of success doesn't validate maybe the things that I wanted creative success to sort of validate for me, which is like, I want people to like me, right? I want people to like my creative output or my creative thoughts or my creative ideas and that kind of stuff. You know, relationships are like this as well. Like, you know, you, sometimes you see the person who's with the incredibly attractive partner who you know is not like, you know, maybe they're not the brightest crane in the, bro in the box or there's no way that this is the type of substantive, meaningful relationship that I think we all kind of want. It's, it's clearly very superficial. And that person seems to like be pot committed to that relationship. It's sad, you know, where we think this person's clearly getting something out of, you know, the, you, whether it's the um, jealousy or desire, I can't quite think of the word here, but the fact that other people desire this person is enough for that person to stay committed to them. Does that make sense? So, you know, but even if you've been in a relationship that's ostensibly to everybody else looks awesome, if you're not happy, like that's going to be a deal breaker, right? For, for many of us. And so, what am I saying? Yeah, I guess, yeah, is, is it too simple to just say that's kind of how I feel? Like, actually, and, and I'm sorry, but you just got to buckle in. Like, Taiwan is just going to be like the major point of reference for probably just about everything I talk about for the foreseeable future. But like when I was in Taiwan, in the last, you know, the last three or four weeks I was there, I had some roommates who were Taiwanese and they were college students and they were just blown away that I was a UC Berkeley student. Like for them, that was just like out of this world, which is, you know, a little strange. It's not like I go to Yale or Stanford. Berkeley is a great school, but you know, for them, that was just like unbelievable. And, you know, so I guess I'm just trying to say like, there are things about my life that I, I recognize and I'm not trying to diminish, but that other people might even like want for themselves or desire or you know maybe even hearing me say like hey I'm gainfully employed and I go to a great school and there are certain things that you struggle with that I personally in this moment am not struggling with that you think god shut the fuck up man like you know what do you have to complain about but in a way that's exactly what I'm talking about which is isn't it weird you know that the things that we want, the things that we think are going to make us happy when we have them, they actually don't. You know, and I, and in therapy, I mean, my therapist, and you know, maybe this is just my fucked up worldview. You know, maybe there's something broken about me. You know, maybe I'm just sort of scarred from my experience or whatever, but it's like, I, I really am skeptical, you know, that I could ever be happy because everything, you know, and, and it's only based on my prior experience because everything I've wanted to date that I've ever accomplished that I thought was going to make me happy didn't. And so it actually makes this chapter of my life a little more difficult because here I am being asked to make a decision about what I want to do with my life. And when we think about what we want to do, is it reductionistic to think like the major <laughs> component or the deciding factor is like, is that going to make me happy? And so it's actually hard for me to feel with any confidence like what I might want to do because I think I'm also primed to think like, well, even if I think it's going to make me happy, it probably won't. So I'm kind of frozen in place, you know? It, it actually makes it harder for me, for me to make a decision in this moment because I think it's just not going to, it's not going to be fulfilling. <clears throat> but anyway, I was talking about therapy. Oh, so as I'm sort of, you know, dealing with this, it's like I, I, I even extend this to other people. Like... Because I know what it's like to, to live a life that maybe other people think is should be fulfilling or should be happy and know that I'm not, I kind of assume that about everybody. 
like whether it's a celebrity or someone who's successful in business or somebody who tells me they're happily married with kids, I just sort of assume that everybody's quietly miserable. Like, you know the quote that is, I think it's it's sort of been, it's gotten new legs because I think like Joe Rogan always sort of pulls it out or whatever, but it's like, you know, the, the, the I think it's Thoreau or somebody said, you know, the vast majority of life, uh, sorry, the ma- the vast majority of men leave lives of quiet desperation. Right, and it's that that this idea that although we seem like we're functioning and happy, most people are just quietly miserable, and that's you know I have to admit that's something that I live with and think about all the time. But you know, it's like even in my therapy, you know, my therapist is adamant that hey, man, like a lot of people are happy. It doesn't mean everybody's happy, but there are plenty of people, more than enough people, maybe even most people, who although their lives are not perfect, even though things crop up that are challenging, maybe even devastating or grievous for a period of time, the loss of a loved one, a diagnosis, uh, losing a limb, uh, uh, personal and professional setbacks or romantic breakups, that for the, there are people who just kind of live generally happy and satisfied with the, with the choices that they made in life, whether it's the person that they married or the career trajectory that they chose. And maybe you're sitting here listening to this and you're thinking, well, of course, dude. (laughs) But I, I mean, that actually feels like hard for me to believe. You know, I mean, if I'm already operating from the standpoint that, you know, yeah, people kind of superficially appear to be happy, but they're quietly miserable. It's like I even hear that overture. Like that to me sounds like a kind of a, a kind of like a lie that you can tell yourself. You know what I mean? Or, yeah, that's just another lie that people perpetuate to sort of convince people that they're happy. But at the end of the day, like, everybody's miserable, you know? Or everybody's disappointed. That life is somehow this sad dance toward death. Dude, that's like the name of my band. (laughs) That sounds like an emo record, the sad dance toward death, dude. And, uh, you know, gosh, damn, man, it's a, yeah, I mean, that's, that really does, like, kind of, that is something that I live with all the time. And so, of course, like, making you know, meaningful decisions about what I want the next chapter of my life to be are difficult, right? But here is, now, here is the real Jedi perspective, though. Okay, so I live with that, right? That's what I think. And yes, it's, you know, probably true that obviously adopting that mentality is making it hard for me to make a decision. But here's the other thing. You know, uh, I'll sort of kind of get to this in kind of a circuitous way, I hope, and not lose my way, potentially, but it's like when you think about someone who's addicted to drugs, and I'm, I'm ignoring the, the, just the genuine biological addiction component. Like, like once you're biologically addicted to drugs, it's actually your body is actually driving you to do drugs. But I still believe that one of the major components that keeps people in their addiction, despite it making them miserable, is that, you know, drug use, I believe, on one level, a major component of it is that it is fundamentally emotionally avoidant. It is a mechanism through which people can avoid uh, emotionally painful things. It could be the reality of their life. It could be traumatic experiences that they've had in the past. But there's something about that drug use and the euphoria of it when they use, even if they're, you know, the, the other 23 hours and 30 minutes out of the day are just a perpetual nightmare. There's something about that high that helps them escape something that uh, is even more painful in kind of a, in a, in a, in a psychological or emotional way. 
Um, and so, yes, now I'm trying to bring it back to what I said, which is there's there has to be something about, you know, I'm sort of sitting here in this, like, all oh, this confusion, like, oh, well, what do I want to do with my life? What can make me happy? There's something about sitting in that indecisiveness, sitting in that indecision, that even though I'm sitting here saying it's making me miserable, and I think there's something about this, you know, whatever this philosophy is that I sort of have espoused or that I that I operationally sort of or operates in my brain, that sort of makes making these types of decisions, uh, these types of major decisions in my life more difficult, that keeps me in this indecisiveness. What is that doing for me? You know? You know, for someone who, like, can come out of the fog of heroin, like, what would they, you know, there's something about the fog of heroin that's protecting them from having to face their childhood trauma, right? The abuse they suffered as a kid. Or even more practically, like, people who become institutionalized, right? This is a broad brush, but go with me. You know, when people have become institutionalized, even though they live in a prison where they face, uh, well, I don't know, like murder all the time, like, the, you know, there's a constant threat over their life of like prison violence or sexual assault, you know, so they get out and they reoffend and they go back to jail. And it was like they can do all the training in the world, all the professional development in, while they're incarcerated that they can, they can prepare for job interviews. But when they go out and they face the world, there's something about reoffending and getting back even to that nightmare existence of being incarcerated that is more comfortable than sitting down for a job interview and facing the judgment of a stranger. You know? And so anyway, yeah, that sounds like a very operatic and kind of dramatic thing to sort of uh, call in here, but yeah, this is just a, a this is just sort of a kind of overcomplicated way, a complicated way of saying what is, yeah, I guess I'm trying, trying to explore, what is that indecisiveness that I'm kind of committed to? What is that doing for me? What is this belief that, like, I can't be happy? What is that doing for me? Because I think even when I'm, you know, it's not like those things shouldn't make me happy. Ah, this is what I should be getting to. Moving to California should, well, maybe should is the weird word, but let's roll with it. Is, is a weird word, but let's roll with it. Like, it should make you happy. California is great. Like, that should be a good thing. Like, not even being creatively successful, but like when I wasn't creating music, like like finally making a record or finally playing shows, or as I continued to make music, playing the types of shows that I eventually went on to play, or having the, the amount of listeners that I eventually would go on to have, eventually go on to have, should have made me happy. But they didn't. You know, whether you're just dating someone who you're having a fun physical relationship with or you're in a long-term committed relationship with somebody that you could marry or that you could settle down with, like, that should make you happy. And I remember being inside of all of those situations and thinking, wow, I wish this was enough. You know, I wish this was enough to make me happy. So really, here's the thing I'm driving at. It's not that there's, it's, you know, it's, I think the truth is it's not that these things are intrinsically empty, you know, there's actually something about me that's, and the crazy part is it's, 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 uh, it is, it's probably born of a type of self-preservation, ironically, even though it, 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 it seems to continue to make me unhappy. It's probably born out of a type of self-preservation that keeps those, yeah, keeps me from letting those things make me happy is what I'm trying to say. They should make me happy, but I, I, it's like I literally don't let them.
And in the same way, the incarcerated person who, you know, from an outsider's perspective, we say, hey, man, you really want to go back to the threat of physical and sexual violence every minute of every day of your life while you're living in a mop closet (laughs) with another dude? You have to shit like six inches away from your roommate? You really want to return to that? But at the end of the day, that at, at the very least, not that they would ever say this, but at you know the prospect of like having to exist in the real world, and I'm using that in quotes, but having to exist in the real world and like face a job interview, that is more scary to them. And so I guess I'm trying to say, you know, I have enough, or I should say I have this type of insight where I know there's something about as miserable as the indecisiveness that I sort of continue to live in, whether it's deciding what I want to do with my life or, you know, that would make so many other decisions in my life exponentially easier today. Or, I mean, the, really the big one that I've been living with for the longest amount of time is this creative project. There's something about my inability to start it that's protecting me from something. I don't know what it is. There's something about me not deciding what I want to do with my life, which would make you know, deciding where I lived or where I went to school, much easier. The indecisiveness is protecting me from something. You know, and the sad part is, is at the, you know, at the end of the day, and maybe it's true with the incarcerated person too, you know, it really probably is a cliche, like the fear of failure. You're scared of failing. If you decide what you want to do, if you make that claim public, or you commit to that path, well, now you can fail. As long as you're kind of, you know, on the shore or whatever, I don't know, I don't know what analogy to use, but as long as you're just kind of in this indecisiveness, you're just kind of marinating. You're not committing to any one path, so you'll never really fail. I mean, you'll never start. (laughs) I mean, that's its own type of failure. But I mean, you'll never fail at the thing. No one could ever, if you say, I want to be a teacher, but you never become one, no one can ever accuse you of failing. I mean, yes, we agree that you never really took off either. But the point is, is that you never failed at X. You know, so if I never start this creative project, well, uh, I never have to live with the failure of setting off on a journey and having to face the fact that I just couldn't do it. Yeah, and that's depressing. I mean, I wish it was a I wish there was a bigger insight than that. You know, but as I've said, I mean, you know, there's nothing worse than finding yourself inside of a cliche. And when you're inside of it, you see all the com- the complexity and architecture and all that stuff that's to it. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just gets kind of boiled down to something like a fear of failure. And I think you know, I keep going back to this incarcerated person, but I think that's probably true. You know, for some people, it's much much easier to live with the devil they know in a prison cell rather than like face the rejection of going on a, on a job interview and having someone external to you in another part of the world judge you or or validate every negative or insecure in, insecure thought you've ever had about yourself by saying no, you can't work here, or we don't hire people like you. You know, and I think when it comes to this creative project, too, I think there's this fear because, I mean, you know, it's not like I've never done anything creative in my life, obviously. So I know the the fear of the blank page. I know what it's like to sit there 
with a song or with a recording or whatever, and, or, and even at school, I mean, like with an essay, you know, I feel this at the start of every semester. How am I going to get through this? It doesn't matter how many times I've done it before. Every time it's like starting over. You know, it's like every time my brain just gets, you know, shooken like an Etch-A-Sketch. It doesn't matter. I could have uh, drawn the Mona Lisa before. It's just, you know, once it's time to reset, everything just sort of gets washed out. And it's like, I mean, I feel this with my language study, right? I've had two different immers language immersion experiences where I only spoke Mandarin for the most part for like two months at a time. And literally, I've been back in the States for like a week and a half. And it's like, I already feel like that never happened. You know, maybe I'm repeating myself, <clears throat> which is going to happen. But I was, I, was, I was talking about this in therapy as well. I was talking about, there's this movie, Memento, this Christopher Nolan film. And, uh, you know, you've probably seen it. If you haven't seen it, it's about a guy who has this traumatic injury and he can't make new memories. And so he just goes about his life. He has to take Polaroids and take notes. And ultimately he has tattoos on his body. He's amassing this body of evidence to find the, uh, the man who raped and murdered his wife. And so he just sort of goes about his life and he sort of pieces things together. But every three or four minutes, you know, it just sort of dissolves and he has to start over. And it's kind of funny because I, I actually watched that movie on the flight home from Taiwan, right? And so I, I was in two places where I remember as I was leaving, and I'm going back to where we started this goddamn conversation, but I was saying, man, I really like who I am here. I hope when I go back, I don't lose sight of this. I hope I'm able to hold on to these things, right? Because I know I'm capable of it. I just, I don't know. I just have to like, you know, I don't know if it's, I, yeah, I just want to be free, man. I just want to be free of whatever this e-break thing is in my life, whatever this, you know, whatever's holding me back. I know I can be the same person in the States. I just have to commit to that process. And so I just, I was hoping that it just didn't dissolve, right? So that was my claim. And then even when I was flying back, from Taiwan. I didn't think about this consciously, but I watched that movie on the plane, right? And so now here I am, now that I'm back, another kind of self-fulfilling prophecy, I'm in that, you know, if it hasn't already happened, I'm definitely in that interstitial phase where like I'm like this dude and I've had this experience and I started pie piecing the puzzle together, but on a long enough timeline, it starts to dissipate and all of a sudden I'm frantically looking around for a pen or my Polaroid camera to take a picture so that I don't forget. But it's like sooner or later, in just a couple seconds, I'm going to look up and I'm going to go, where am I? And what just happened? You know, and it'll be like waking up from a dream. You know, and my life is that way. It's like it doesn't matter how much creative success I have, <laughs> now that I have some distance from it, it's like I, I literally live and act as if I've never done anything creative in my life. It's like I'm actually... And I mean this, psychologically, I'm back in that place I was when I first moved to California and I hadn't like written a song or played a show in like two years. And it felt like this Herculean effort to even put pen to paper. And I'm, it's, just, it's just very weird to have done everything that I've done and to be back in that place. You know, and, and there's a microcosm of that is like going to the music festival. Here I just had this two-month experience where I was just like doing it all. I was like traveling. I was trying weird food. I was putting myself out there. I was going on dates. You know, I was like, you know, uh, you know, I was, I was very involved academically in my coursework and all that sort of stuff. And yet just give it a couple days and I'm, I'm back to this. I'm, I'm like this, um, 
um, hermetic house cat who like stays at home. And there's things I enjoy. You know, I'm watching a great film right now called Our Little Sister, which is great. So, I mean, you know, there's things I do or even like recording this. You know, those things are fine and fulfilling. But there's a thousand other things I wish I was doing with my time that I'm, this feel very hard to do. And, um, you know, what's that about? I mean, and, and, and there's something about, and I, I feel bad only gesturing to this, but again, I just don't think it's appropriate to talk about, but it's like, even in my job right now, I'm very frustrated with it, but it's like, I live as if I'm, I'm stuck there, right? Like as if I couldn't find another job, right? As if, hey man, you've been in school for the last X number of years, you have a great pedigree, you have all these new skill sets and you're more mature. And by the way, you're also taking with you all the experience that you've had at this job that you're currently at. Why in the world couldn't you find something else? You know, it's almost like a, like a, like a, um, I don't know. I'm picturing like a, this is going to sound weird, but it's like, I'm picturing like an old dirt road that like, uh, ox carts have like, uh, ridden on for years. And so like the, the, there's like the grooves are kind of carved into the dirt. And it's like, once I get in that track, once my wheels kind of lock in, it's like, I act like I can't like break free of that, you know? Anyway, I'm now reaching for metaphors that I don't even need. I've already expounded on this topic enough over the last hour. I'm sure you understand exactly what I'm talking about. So the memento analogy was enough. I sort of live like this dude with perpetual amnesia. And no matter what happens before, I just sort of like forget about it. And I act like I can't do it again. And uh, But again, the thing that the big mystery, and maybe we already solved it with fear of failure, but there's just something about that indecisiveness and in a way, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen the movie Memento, literally don't listen to this. Watch the film. But the plot twist of the movie is that he does it to himself. I, I forget about that part. That's the part I really need to remember. He does it to himself. He creates the mystery, right? The plot twist at the end is that he, you know, he's always looking for John G. to kill. He's killed many John G's. Oh, dude, this, I'm telling you, man, this movie is fucking brilliant, right? That, that's how you know you're watching a real filmmaker. You're just watching this movie and the story itself is cool enough. But once you realize the actual psychological implications of what you're watching and the way that you relate to it on a super deep level, that's when you're dealing with a master filmmaker. But dude, he does it to himself. He tells himself, oh, if only I kill John G., my life will be fulfilled. I'll have done my life's work. He's killed John G over and over again. But he destroys that success because he needs to give his life meaning. It's the mystery. It's the pursuit of the mystery that gives his life meaning. Oh, God damn, dude. And here I was, <laughs> I was sitting here thinking this is this conversation is a fucking nightmare. Why do I even do this to myself? And maybe you're bored of shit, but I'm telling you, man, that was all I needed. That little revelation right there was everything I needed to remind myself why I do this for me. You're going to have to decide for yourself why you listen. But why I, the, the reason I record it is for that. Wow, man. And so here's the thing, right? I'm even sitting here thinking like, wow, what a great connection. But I guarantee you, the next time I hit the record button, we're going to be having the exact same conversation. And if you've been listening to this record for a while, I get, for all I know, I've had this conversation a thousand times, right? So anyway, 
let's call it there, right? If I keep going, it's just not going to get much better than that. So it's good to be back doing this. Like I said, uh, you know, moments like that are very fulfilling for me. But again, you're going to have to decide for yourself why you listen. So uh, round two, good to be back in the saddle. I hope I keep it up. I'm telling myself, hey, once you start, you got to do at least another hundred, right? So if that's true, I'm not making any promises to myself or to you, but that's kind of the way the cracker crumbles for me. I sort of sit. I haven't done this for a while, but now that I'm back at it, I guess I'm just going to keep doing it for the next hundred. So thank you for listening. Thank you for your time and ciao for now.